0: This past Monday, a lady walks into a Christian school, multiple weapons on hand, and begins to shoot six people, including three children. Nothing but pure evil would lead a person to do such a thing as that. I don't think we need to be convinced of the darkness that is all around us. But let's be honest, there is nothing new under the sun. I used to think that, man, you know what, our world is getting worse. But then I I began to realize that that's not the case at all. Like, the reality is, is ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, evil has been an ever-present thing in our worlds. Now, you may think that the world has gotten worse since you were a kid, but in reality, the world is just as evil as it always has been since the fall. And as we look at Ephesians today, there is one thing that I want us to walk away from, one statement that really summarizes the gist of what Paul's trying to communicate here, and it's also the title of the message, and that is this. The days are evil, so be spirit-filled. The days are evil, so be spirit-filled. Our text this morning is Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Follow along with me as I read verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning already and the chance to remember what Jesus did for us. Lord, may that be an ever-present truth and reality that we live in, regularly amazed that we can stand here forgiven. Lord, even in in light of the evil that we see around us, oh, how much we need the good news of Christ. How much the world desperately needs the the good news of Jesus coming. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this morning, remind us of the evil around us, help us to be spirit-filled, Lord, to to draw near to you. And so, God, this morning, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage, it really does boil down to that statement, the days are evil, so be spirit-filled. Filled And the first part of that, the days are evil, uh, it, it sums up the first three verses there. And verse 16 is where we see that phrase, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And so this really is the, the first part of the message is, in light of the fact that the days are evil, there's a way that we should walk. And here's the first way that we should walk. The days are evil, so walk wisely. The days are evil, so walk wisely look again at verse 15 look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise the picture of walking is not new to ephesians Uh, of course this was the beginning of the second half of the book of ephesians Chapters 1 through 3, dealing with our identity, who we are in Christ. We're called to live out of that identity. And then in verse 4, there's a transition. Therefore, in light of who you are in Christ, remember it said we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And the picture of our life being a walk with Christ tells us that our walk with Christ is not something where we drift into it. The Christian life is not a drifting It's not coasting. It's not reactive. The Christian walk is not passive. It's about continually putting one foot in front of the other, spiritually speaking, continually pursuing Christ. And Paul is saying to look carefully how you walk. And the Greek word for carefully, it means exact. It means accurate. It means precise. It makes me think of a carpenter. I know we have a few builders in our room. How many of you, like, you don't even try to do stuff because, you know, once you start a project, it's going to go sideways. You just hire it out, right? But, but one, one thing that I have learned that's that been the greatest lesson for me when it comes to doing any kind of carpentry work is you measure how many times? Twice. Cut once. <laughs> measure twice. There, there have been times where I have not obeyed that, and I have paid the price literally for doing that. And there have been times where I measure once and then I measure twice and they don't match and I realize that you know, something had made the ruler stick or whatnot and it was able to get the right thing. And, and that's the picture of how we should look at our lives of Christ. We should look carefully at how we walk, measure it, make sure we are accurately pursuing Jesus, that it reflects the Savior whom we say we love. Paul is calling us to look at our lives in that kind of way, make wise decisions you know i think sometimes we look at our walk with jesus and we we base it on whether or not it's good or bad and so if we make a good decision that's great if it's a bad decision then we need to change and and paul's not saying that though he's not saying it's like right or wrong he's saying be wise isn't it true that sometimes good things aren't the wisest things consider this Uh, it's 10 o'clock on a sunday night Tomorrow morning, uh, you have this super important job uh, where you, you are casting the vision for another company to buy into what you are selling as a company. And this could, this could be drastically, could drastically transform the business that you are part of. It could change your position in the company. You could have huge advancements if this all goes well on Monday morning. But your spouse comes to you Sunday night, 10 o'clock, and says, hey, you know, I really want to work on our budget. Can we, can we lay out our budget for the rest of the year? There's a lot of things that are on my mind and I just want to make sure we have all those things in place. And so could we spend the next couple of hours making sure we have our budget uh, put in place? Now, first of all, is it good to talk to your spouse about your budget? That's a good thing. But is it wise on a Sunday night at 10 p.m. when you have this incredibly important meeting on Monday morning? That's not wise And so Paul is saying, be wise. Make not only a good decision, make the best decision. The days are evil. Many things are vying for our attention. Watch how you walk. Let's tie in verse 17 with this. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, Therefore, is referring back to because the days are evil. Because the days are evil, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In order to walk wisely, we need to understand the will of God. How many of you know what the will of God is for your life? I see a lot of Christians get tripped up on this. And really, what they're looking for, I often have conversations with Christians like, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And here's what they mean. is like, man, I just want to go to the mailbox tomorrow open it up, and find a direct letter from Christ himself explaining everything of what I'm to do for the rest of my life. Or they're, they're longing for Jesus to physically come, knock on their door, have a cup of coffee, and just lay it all out for you. Or they're looking for an audible voice of God. God, if you just tell me out loud, then I would know what I am to do. I mean, certainly how many of you would love if Jesus would do that this week? <laughs> I would love that. It would be great. It'd be fantastic. Lord, I, I got some things I need to do. Like, but I've never heard the audible voice of God. I've never physically met with him where I can see him literally face to face. But the, the, the truth is, is I do know God's will for my life. How, how can we know God's will for our lives? It, it's found in the scriptures. Don't overthink this, brothers and sisters. Don't be looking for God's will as some mystical experience that's going to help you determine what you are to do with your life. We have God's will given to us right here. Let's just observe some of these things. Consider what we've already talked about in Ephesians. It is God's will to walk with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 13, we are to live in unity. Verse 15, it's God's will that we speak the truth in love. Don't walk in the futility of your minds like the Gentiles. Verse 17, rather, we are to renew our minds. Verse 23, it's God's will, according to verse 25 in chapter 4, to put off falsehood and speak the truth. Verse 26, be careful with your anger. Don't hold grudges. Keep short accounts. Verse 28, Don't steal. Verse 31, put off all forms of anger. Instead, verse 32, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, the will of God is found here. His commandments are given to us as his will. And here's what I find amazing. Uh, Here's what I find happen in my life. When I am actively pursuing him through his word, when I'm actively praying and having a rela- an ongoing relationship with Christ, when a big, a big decision needs to be made, because of the overflow of meeting with him regularly in prayer, meeting with him through his word, he gives wisdom to these bigger decisions. It's He moves in my spirit. He leads me to a place where I can't do anything else but make this decision. I've had that. and I believe that is God revealing his will because of me actively pursuing him day by day. Don't overthink of what God's will is. Walk wisely by walking according to his word. He's given us his will through his word. The days are evil. Be wise. Walk in his word. Look at verse 16. Making the best use of the time. The days are evil, so use your time well. The days are evil, so use your time well. Time is incredibly valuable, isn't it? It's the one thing that once you lose it, you never get it back. What other commodity is like that? If you run, Have you heard of people going into bankruptcy? And then what happens? They are able to find a way to get more money. Run out of food. You're able to go to the store and buy food. Even remote countries have the opportunity when, when people fly in and they build these wells and they can dig deep and get water. Like, but time, once it's gone, you can never get it back. At 12 a.m. at midnight, April 2nd, 2023, you will never see it again. It'll be over. The days are evil. Watch your time. And and here's the hard part. There are so many distractions for us, so many things that are demanding our attention. And, And I would say if Paul is calling for the people of this time to guard their time, how much more do we need to guard ours? How many of you remember having a phone and the only way you could get on the phone was having it attached to the wall? Remember that? Remember that annoying spiral cord that would just get all twisted up? And remember trying to have a private conversation? Like for us, we had to pull that thing 20 feet across the kitchen and we would open the door to the basement and close it and I would sit there at the top of the stairs to have a private conversation. And then you had to worry And you were listening for a click on the other side because you had annoying siblings who would try to pick up and and interfere with the conversation and listen in. Like Those were different times. And and how many of you remember that if somebody was trying to call you but you were on the line, you would never find out? Because there used to be a time where you didn't have voicemails. How many of you wish that was the case today? (laughs) But now consider what we have in our pockets I mean if they would have dropped these things 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it would be like no way. You're crazy. But now we have this computer really in our pockets. Things that we needed multiple different forms of technology to use is all now in the palm of our hands. Remember when you had to like actually have a real camera to take pictures? And then not only that, like how many of you probably still have film in your house that you have not developed yet from years ago? <laughs> Some of you younger folks, I'm like, developing film, what are you talking about? <laughs> and we can, we can find out, we've never had more access to more information than we do today. We can find out anything and anywhere. Never have we been so connected to everyone else, and yet, what a great distraction it is. Do you, realize, do you, do you know how many times that we touch, swipe, or tap our phones a day, the average person? 2,600 times a day, which amounts to over two and a half hours, and that's just the average. We we are incredibly distracted. We can watch movies and TV shows from our phone. We can watch sporting events. We have to be careful that we guard our time. We have to walk wisely by making sure we protect ourselves from being overwhelmed by our phones, let, let, let alone everything else that, calls and vies for our attention the days are evil and our time is of the essence and and we only have 24 hours a day and so let me ask you how are you using your time are you living life to the fullest are you able to lay your head down on your pillow at night and thank god for the time that you spent that day pursuing the things that would honor him The days are evil, so use your time well. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the days are evil, so live soberly. The days are evil, so live soberly. I mean, this is an honest, this is an obvious thing for us as believers, right? We know that getting drunk Is wrong the Greek word for debauchery means recklessness wildness losing control this was a problem back in Paul's time and certainly it is still a problem in our day and I'll say this clearly God's Word does not condemn the consumption of alcohol nowhere does it say thou shalt not drink alcohol ever So we must be careful not to make man-made laws that Scripture does not also say. There is freedom to drink. I will say this, though. Nikki and I, we choose not to drink. Here's one main reason why. Alcohol has destroyed many, many lives. Statistics would show that over 100,000 people a year die from some alcohol-related incident. And actually, it's many places much higher than that, around 140,000-plus people a year. And I just don't want to contribute that in any way. So we choose not to drink. And I would just say, if you choose to drink, live soberly. Be careful of your consumption of alcohol. And I would say this. If you struggle with it, if you have found yourself drunk, have you repented And if you continually struggle with it, then why do you continue to let it be a part of your life? Live soberly. Don't allow your heart to come under the control of anything else. But God, the days are evil. And the main point Paul is saying here is don't let alcohol control you. Don't be drunk on wine, for that is but be filled with the Holy Spirit it says here and, and there's a transition so it goes from the days are evil to live spirit-filled lives and so we must ask ourselves how, how, how do we how do we live spirit-filled lives and, and Paul tells us here and then this is another thing that we get confused on and, and we're thinking we're looking for some extra zapping per se like God to zap us in the spirit somehow. And what Paul's saying is like, don't look for the zap. And and he lays out three ways that we can be spirit-filled. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms. so, So notice the transition here. But be filled with the spirit is in verse 18. Addressing, in other words, you could say, by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your This may be a surprise to some of you to to know how to live spirit filled lives, but this is what Paul is saying. Be spirit filled by encouraging one another in song. Be spirit filled by encouraging one another in song. Sadly, I know of people who have chosen to come into church late because they don't want to be a part of the singing. And Paul is saying, Why would you do that? This is an opportunity that we have to come together and encourage one another in song. We are called to praise God out loud together. The Greek word for hymn is not a song written in the 1900s, early 1900s. That's not a definition of hymn. Hymns were not around, the ones that we call hymns, back in Jesus' time. Yeah, in Jesus' time here. What hymn means, it's like it's an ode or it's a poem to, to a God or to a hero. So, of course, Paul is speaking of an a ode, a, an honor to God. And also, let's, let's just take notice that there's no real distinction between old and new songs. There's a lot of conflict that happens in churches that there's no reason for them to happen. There, in fact, if we want to get biblical, if we are a hymn-only, if you're a hymn-only person, you only like old stuff, then what do you do with Psalm 96 that says, sing a new song to the Lord? Was the Spirit of God active when the psalmist wrote the psalms? Yeah. Is the Spirit of God active in our time today? Yes. So we can trust that God's Spirit is still moving and new songs contain things that can point us to Scripture. Now, here's, the, here's where we got to draw the line. I love old music because it stood the test of time. And that's why I love older music. And, but I also love newer songs as well. But he, here's what matters the most. We worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So it matters what we sing. Zach and I and the elders, we protect what we sing on Sunday mornings. We're not going to just sing what is popular in today's culture in the Christian world. Because if you ever listen to the radio and find yourself disgusted by what Christians are singing and calling it Christian worship, when a lot of it just has to do with glorifying self. And so we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It matters what we sing. But I think what we got to pull away from this too is that music is a gift from God. Music is not something that the church has taken from the world and has sanctified it. God, God created music all throughout the Old Testament. You, like I think some people would be offended by seeing some of the worship in the Old Testament. But God calls us to sing together. I love the beauty of multiple instruments because there's multiple people using the talent that God has given them. We look at even scripture and there's a spiritual gift of like, like embroidery. If you look at the way they built the temple, they spirit-filled people who are able to use use needles like nobody's business. And have you ever just like tried to play an instrument? Like I'm okay at the guitar. I can stream, I can strum some, I can't even say it right, see? You don't stream on a guitar. That tells you where I'm at, right? Uh, I can strum chords, but I can't like, I can't put it together like other people can. And, and I'm just like, I just thank God for the gifting that he's given people to be able to play instruments. And do you realize that most all of us because perhaps you, you literally can't use your vocal cords, we have the ability to sing. We have our voices. Listen, here's some good news to a lot of you. The Bible doesn't say make a beautiful sound. It, makes, it says make a joyful noise. <laughs> and, and so if you refuse to sing because you just can't carry a tune in a bucket... Let me encourage you, don't let that just keep you from doing that. I I probably shared this story before, but it just always sticks with me. Uh, At 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 our planting church, so Gospel City in Granger, I was on staff there, and there was this guy who would often sit in front of, his name was Mike. And Mike could, he could not, he, he was like the worst singer in the church, possibly. But here's what I knew about him. I knew that God had came and radically transformed his life when he was in his 50s. So he came to Christ much later in life. And so I knew when he was singing, it was a joyful noise from his heart because he was overwhelmed at the sacrifice of Christ. That even though he had years and years and years full of sinfulness, that God would still come and rescue him. And so he would make a joyful noise. Now listen, I would never put Mike up behind a microphone. (laughs) But I love him singing from from where he was standing. Brothers and sisters, it is one of the most encouraging things for me when I can stop singing up here. If you know me, you know I'm loud. I live my life loud. I sing loud. But sometimes I just got to stop because I love hearing the praise of God's people because sometimes I don't have the voice. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by life. And so I need brothers and sisters who are passionate about what Jesus has done. And I don't care how good you sound. I care about your heart overflowing in a joyful noise to the Lord. If you missed our prayer gathering Sunday night, you missed out. And we didn't have a whole lot of people. We had maybe this amount of people. But yet, the singing of God's people together, there there is something spiritual about it when we are singing truth to one another. Be spirit-filled by encouraging one another in song. Look at verse 20 giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we live spirit-filled lives? Be spirit-filled by being thankful. Be spirit-filled by being thankful. So according to this verse, get your eyes on it again. Got a couple questions for you, and I want you to respond out loud. How often is Paul calling us to be thankful always at all times and what are we to be thankful for everything I mean this is the spirit-filled life of being thankful for everything one that in every circumstance whether good or bad we are called to give thanks to God to be a thankful person means you have the proper perspective on life And and don't lose lose sight of the fact that who wrote Ephesians? Paul. Where was Paul at when he wrote Ephesians? In prison. Was he in prison because he was an idiot? No, he was in prison for speaking, preaching the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but, like, I'm a justice kind of person. Like, when somebody has justice served to something bad they do, I'm like, girl. And nothing gets me more fired up than when injustice happens. (laughs) And yet, like, and so I can't imagine Paul being in prison for something that he should not be in prison for. How could you be thankful? And yet, what an example that Paul is to us and to the church back then in his time. And and he wrote about thankfulness all throughout his letters. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God? To be thankful. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, not just prayer and supplication, but with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Being thankful matters. Colossians three fifteen says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful thankful. You want to be spirit-filled, be thankful. Now, we we have to ask ourselves, what what does it mean to be biblically thankful? What what does that look like? First of all, let's just put you at ease. Thankfulness is not about putting on a smile when something hard happens and acting like nothing happened. I've met people like that, and I just got to be honest, it's weird. And it's actually quite scary. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine, like, me tripping down the stairs, and I break my arm, and I'm just like, praise the Lord. I am so thankful right now. I can't think of anything better happening to me than breaking my arm, falling down the stairs, looking like a fool in front of you. I just thank God for it. This is amazing. This is awesome. Like, that's crazy, right? Man, I lost my job. How are you doing? Oh, I'm just so thankful. I don't know how I'm going to pay for stuff, but this is great. This is amazing. That's not not thankfulness. That's called not being in touch with reality. (laughs) Thankfulness is not putting on a smile and acting like everything is great. Twelve years ago, you guys know this, most of you, if you've been around a while, my brother passed away suddenly. And there's no other word to describe it than devastating but here's what I've learned of hope in Christ you can be devastated and yet you can still be thankful you can be crushed perplexed but not completely undone when it comes to Christian mourning there's a difference between how Christians, how we mourn and how the world mourns. Turn with me. Just a few books past Ephesians. you got Ephesians, Colossians. And go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a difference. Paul's not acting up, telling us to act like nothing happened. He's just saying, remember who's involved with your suffering. Remember who's involved in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, let me take notice there. Is Paul saying that you may not grieve? Is that what he's saying? Hey, we don't want you to be uninformed. Don't grieve. Is that what Paul's saying here? No, he's not saying that. You may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And here's the reason why we have hope, brothers and sisters. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The reason why I could be devastated and still be thankful is because I know that this life is not my home. That the breath I breathe today is not the everlasting breath I will breathe for eternity. We have a hope that outlasts the sorrows of this world. We grieve our losses, but we grieve as someone who has hope. Now go a little bit further back towards the end of your Bible to the book of James. It's right after Hebrews. James chapter 1. No doubt if you've been in church a long time, you have heard this referenced. James 1, starting in verse 2, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. Now listen, if there was a period here, this would be a hard to swallow. (laughs) I broke my arm. This is joyful. I lost my job. Yes. I'm counting it as joy. That's not what Paul, he's not saying count it joy for joy's sake. Hey, just suck it up. He's not saying that. He's saying count all joy when you meet trials because there's a reason. There's a reason why I bring suffering and allow it into your life. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How many of you want to reach maturity in Christ? How many of you want to look more like Jesus two years from now than you do today? Be thankful, believer. The reason why he allows suffering is because he's doing something in you. And don't be mistaken to think that you just can put on a smiley face, but there does have to come to a point where you are thankful for God allowing stuff because of what he's doing in you. Here's why I believe that thankfulness is not just burying what's happened to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're not going to turn there. Paul goes to the brothers of Corinthians and says, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of the affliction that we faced. We were so burdened beyond compare that we despised of life itself. This is Paul speaking. He did not want to live. He didn't put on a happy face. It wasn't always like, you know, rose-colored glasses looking through. Like, he despaired of life because he went through but, but he knew where his hope came from. Because if you remember, he's like, the reason why he despaired of life, that was to teach him what the scripture said not to rely on self, but on God who raises the dead. Brothers and sisters, even death can't keep you down. That's, what, that's why I love Paul. Like, he was a tricky guy, kind of a weird dude. And I pray that we're all weird like Paul. I mean, think about it. Paul comes and, and proclaims, I'm a Christian. All right, we're going to kill you. I don't care. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. (laughs) I would much rather go be with Christ. Go ahead. Well, fine, we're going to let you live, but we're going to torture you. I don't care. These momentary afflictions aren't worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory. Paul was thankful because the suffering that he endured, God was teaching him to rely on him. So let me ask you, are you a thankful person? When life is good, it's easy to be thankful But when the trials keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming, are you seeking God, trusting that this world is not your home, that he wants your heart? Be thankful. Or are you someone that anytime something bad comes, you got to go onto social media and let the world know how bad somebody is? You have bad service at a restaurant. You got to let somebody know how awful it was and how dare somebody treat you that way. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn to be thankful. We want to be spirit-filled and be thankful. Let's finish with verse 21. Got to find my way back here. Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You want to be spirit-filled? Be spirit-filled by submitting to one another. If you go back to verse 19, we see that the spirit-filled life happens in community. Verse 19 talks about addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Certainly, submitting to one another is a picture of God's love for us. Submitting means you're committing to, you're belonging to. It's Philippians 2 of considering others better than yourself. And what was unique about the church back then, which is different than today's world, is that the church back then, they couldn't just like pick up their bags and their Bibles and go to the church down the streets. Like they didn't have that option. They couldn't just like, I'm going to Colossae. No, no, there was distance that, that couldn't happen. They had to commit to one another and to be, have church discipline brought upon you and kicked out of the church meant far more than it does today. Oh, fine, you don't, you don't, you're going to do that to me? I'm going to go to such and such a church? And sadly, I just I don't always see this commitment to one another in the church in America. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are times where we do everything that we can to try to make something work. And sometimes... Leadership is not following the ways of the Lord, and so that leads us to leave a church. So don't get me wrong here saying that you should never leave, but, but we should have this desire to want to commit to other believers. I mean, here's the truth. We are a mess, are we not? Look to somebody next to you and say, I'm a mess right now. Go ahead. And then respond by saying, yes, you are. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> we are all a mess. We fall short of God's glory, even after salvation. And yet, what did Jesus do? Ben blew it again. I'm done with him. Now, he who began a good work in you will do what? He will bring it to completion. Jesus doesn't give up on us. He is committed to his people. Therefore, in light of Christ's forgiveness for us, we are called to stay committed to one another as much as this is up to us. We can't control what other people do. But when trials come, when troubles come, when, when anger comes, when we're offended by something, instead of just leaving, lean into that. I mean, I think, of, I think of Peter. Peter was kind of like this, I don't know if you call him arrogant. Very strong, though, like a strong personality. I mean, he's the one standing up like, Jesus, I will never betray you. He's the one who brought his sword out when they came to arrest Jesus and cut the servant's ear off. Remember that guy? And then all of a sudden, he's in the guard, he's, he's at the, the temple where they're starting to, trying to, you know, Jesus is on trial and somebody notices him, like, hey, you're, you're, you belong with him. And where was Peter? Yeah, that's right, I do. No, no, he, he cowards and he, he denies it. Not only does he deny it once, Not only does he deny Jesus twice, but he denies him three times. He had the chance to proclaim Christ no matter the consequences, and he chickened out. Did God discard him then? When Jesus came back to life, did he go to Peter and say, Peter, come on, man. Dude, you had your chance. Three strikes and you're out. No, instead, when he was down by the water, what did Jesus ask Peter three times? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Are you committed to other believers the way Christ is committed to us, even though we are a mess? Submit to one another. Be committed to one another. This may mean at times that we need to confront others in love and be confronted we don't always get it right and sometimes we're just faint-hearted and we need other brothers and sisters to encourage us sometimes we're weak and we just need some help be committed submit to one another and notice this is don't submit for your own gain is that what it says does it say submit for your own gain does it say hey submit for the benefit of the other person is that what it says here what does it say Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I am committing to this relationship that is hard and not easy, and I'd much rather be done with it, but because of what Christ has done for me, I am called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Church, let me remind you the days are evil. Walk wisely, guard your time. Live soberly. And be filled with the spirits. Live spirit-filled lives. Live spirit-filled lives by encouraging one another in song. Don't be shy. If somebody's judging you for the sound of your voice, shame on them. That's their problem. They're probably deaf anyway, right? I'm just kidding. Let's be thankful, people. Be spirit-filled by being thankful, Be spirit-filled by submitting to one another. Let's pray. Father, the days are evil, and if we are honest here, there are times where we give in to the negative things of this world, Lord, that our hearts are still sinful from time to time. Lord, I thank you that our identity is now in Christ, but yet, Lord, we still struggle with sin. So God, remind us of that, Lord. I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. How are we, how are we living foolishly? How are we treating one another, Lord? How, Father, are we making the best use of the days that you've given us? Lord, I pray that you would make us hungry for your word Lord, we want to know your will. It's found in your word. You lead us and direct us. You've given us this great gift, Lord. Help us to be students of your word. God, would you make us a thankful people? Lord, we of all people, professing believers, have more reason to be thankful than any other person in this world. We deserve to be hanging on a cross right now with a ripped open back. Nails driven through our hands and feet, but yet, Lord, you took that for us. God, make us forever thankful so that when we experience injustice in this world, God, help us to respond in a way that honors you. Lord, when we experience trials and suffering lord remind us to be thankful in our mourning lord knowing that you are using these things to conform us into the image of your son lord i thank you for your incredible patience towards us it's in jesus name we pray amen let me leave you with a few action steps that you can put into practice this week uh memorize ephesians five, fifteen, and 16 says this again, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And then this has not much to do with the message per se, but just preparing our hearts for Good Friday. I encourage you to spend some time just gleaning on Isaiah 53, thinking about the suffering Savior who went through just a brutal death for our sake. And then a question for you to ponder How well are you using your time? Perhaps perhaps what would be best useful for you if you're like, I'm not sure. I'd encourage you, like, spend a couple days where every hour you are just writing some notes down. All right, during 8 to 9 o'clock, this is what I did. And just kind of see, where where are you spending your time? What are you using your time towards? And then lastly, be the spirit-filled light. I, I... when, when we are committed to one another through thick and thin, that gives the world a message. When we are thankful, that is contrary to the world. The world doesn't thrive on thankfulness, does it? Do you see the news just full of thankfulness? <laughs> hey, we're so grateful for so-and-so, and no. Like, our light shines bright to a desperate world and we are thankful people who are committed to one another, even when life is hard. Church, let me remind you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine so that others may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.